welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Happy Tuesday. I hope you're not paying attention to what FIFA is doing, because it will only make you mad. Because Unfortunately, I'm going to tell you what FIFA is doing, so I'm going to make you mad here. Big show today before we get into FIFA shenanigans, before we get into what's going to happen in 2022 when the World Cup goes to Qatar. Three excellent guests on today's program. Yes, you heard that correctly. Three. We have a bonus guest today. First up, Jeff Carlisle from ESPN FC, the very, very excellent Jeff Carlisle will give us an update on the MLS CBA negotiations, what exactly is going on there, whether or not this impasse will carry through to the start of the season and whether we're likely to see a strike at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Jamie Goldberg will join us. She'll tell us all about the Portland Timbers' preparation for 2015. Lots of injury issues there in Portland. Uh, Questions of depth. Is Caleb Porter going to turn things around in year number three? And then at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern, Dom Dwyer, the recently married Dom Dwyer, starting striker for Sporting Kansas City, will join us. Talk about the 2015 season preparations for him. We'll talk about his recent nuptials. Should be an excellent conversation there as well. But like I said, leaning off the top, FIFA has done it again. It is now official or as close to official as it can be without actually being official. FIFA's task force has recommended that the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, Qatar, excuse me, take place in November, late November to late December of that calendar year. Remember we had some back and forth. Was it going to be in May, April, May? Was it going to be maybe even into 2023? Maybe it was going to be in the beginning of 2022, a January, February World Cup. Well, the task force has decided that November, December makes the most sense. And the part of that reason for that is that you can't do it in the beginning of the year that conflicts with the Winter Olympics. Certainly can't do it during Ramadan. Certainly can't do it during the hottest months of the year. So this is all that's left, November and December. And everything that, that you'll see today about this news says that FIFA's, FIFA will ratify the decision. The FIFA Executive Committee will ratify this decision next month. And that we're going to be lining up a Winter World Cup in 2022. Now, unconfirmed reports, this is just out there floating around, have the World Cup final on December 23rd. I don't know that that's... I mean, look, the Winter World Cup is weird enough as it is. The The fact that we're switching things around for, for Qatar. The fact that the European Club Association and the European Professional Club, whatever, League, whatever the, the, the title of that, the, these groups of clubs in Europe that have banded, banded together as lobbying concerns are none too happy about this, clearly. Here's a bit of a note. As many as 50 leagues could be affected by this calendar shift of the World Cup. Certainly MLS will be affected. November, December, hmm, what happens then? Right, playoffs and MLS Cup. What do you do about that? Go to a shorter schedule in 2022, start your season in January. Man, there's lots of questions here. And, and MLS is just one of many, many leagues that's going to be impacted by this news. Now, it is important to remember 
that for all of the upset caused by the fact that the executive committee voted to put the World Cup in Qatar in 2022, knowing how hot it was in the summer, that really what we should be focused on and what we've focused on around here, probably more than the issues of heat in the summer, is that the numerous deaths of migrant workers in that country as they attempt to build the infrastructure, not just for the World Cup, for other projects as well, but certainly for the World Cup. So that blood is on FIFA's hands. Let's not lose sight of that. I believe it was James Montague or some, someone else I follow. Many numerous uh, socially conscious people on, I follow on Twitter. Bravo to them. Reminding the world, reminding their Twitter followers, certainly. It's not just about switching the schedule and how it inconveniences people. It's about those migrant workers. And for the time being, we will focus on what this might mean, on the knock-on effect, as they call it. And that's the lead story. I feel like there should be only one headline today, but I will mention that we've got two Champions League matchups in Europe this afternoon for all of you American listeners. Juve and Dortmund, Manchester City, Barcelona. These are big matches, clearly. And you look at Juve and Dortmund, and there's something to be said of this being a referendum on Italian football right now. Juve's the best Italy has to offer. There is no question about that. They've... People are going to be watching this game just for Paul Pogba. Meanwhile, Dortmund climbing out, slowly creeping out of the relegation zone in, in Germany. Are they good enough to go to Italy and take out Juventus, to stake themselves to a lead? They've been very good, better, certainly, in the Champions League than they've been in the Bundesliga. It's a matter of concentration, a matter of the, the competition, raising to that level. Manchester City would like to raise to Barcelona's level. There's no doubt about that. But how do you stop Messi, Neymar, and Suarez? How do, you, how do you possibly do that? And this is correct, right, that Yaya Torre is missing the first leg of this tie. Ouch. Big-time loss for Manchester City there. And they, uh, to go out to Barcelona again after last year, to, to not get over that hump that Manchester City is striving, striving to get over. Premier League success has not translated into European success for the citizens. This would put them into the mega club category. So maybe this is, maybe, you know, success in the Champions League, getting into the quarterfinal, semifinals, final of the Champions League for Manchester City is necessary in order for them to get the invite when all of the European the massive European clubs pull out of their leagues and form a Super League because the, the World Cup in, in Qatar in 2022 is going to happen in November, December. That, that's all feasible, right? I mean, that's where, that seems like where we're headed. We're just headed into an interminable future. 2022, oh, that's, that's 2022's problem, I guess. Let's take a break. Speaking of not 2022's problem, 2015's problem, MLS CBA negotiations. Let's talk to Jeff Carlisle from ESPN FC and get an update. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Don't go anywhere. Take 
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. All right, now we turn to the MLS-CBA negotiations. A little bit of chatter surrounding what might happen when the uh, season is supposed to start with Jeff Carlisle from ESPN FC. Uh, Jeff, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you? I'm uh, I'm fairly well. Um, I'm a little nervous. I'm starting to get that flutter in my stomach that I might not be seeing some MLS uh, action on the field come March 6th. Uh, MLS and the and the players are sitting down and and I, how often are they meeting at this point? Uh, and we'll get to the progress in a second, but is it, are we talking about weekly, every couple of days? How often is this happening? Well, I think they've been meeting. I think last week they met in New York for several days, and you know they're taking the same approach this week. So I, I think you know, at minimum two days, probably three days of meetings at this point. Um, you know, and there's, you know, the mediators have also been huddling individually with each side. So, I mean, you know, they've had conversations with the league without the union present and vice versa. And then prior to this week, though, there had only been one kind of joint session with MLS, the union, and the mediators all together. So, which surprised me a little bit. But, um, you know, there, it's, there's a lot going on. Well, you <laughs> say that, much you say that there's a lot going on, and certainly the, the, the amount of meeting time indicates that there's something going on but and i know there are are other things beyond free agency to talk about but we're hearing so much about free agency we're hearing that the players are adamant that they want it if they don't get it they're going to strike meanwhile the owners are not even budging a little bit so i just picture them sitting across a table from each other staring and not doing anything and maybe the mediator there going uh do you guys have anything to say no do you have guys have anything no we're 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 they're entrenched jeff are they not they are. Um, yeah, there's still some other things that they can talk about. I mean, there's there's minimum salaries and and uh, you know the, the size of the salary cap. But it, it strikes me that um, you know that's kind of even secondary to, to free agency. It could be that you know they haven't taken kind of a slow and and steady approach in trying to to agree on the little things first and then move on to the big things. And given that free agency is the biggest, it, it could be a case where they're they're saving that for last. But uh, so I mean, there's still some other things to talk about. But yeah, it's that when they get to that, it's going to be interesting how they try to sort that out and, and how effective the mediators are going to be able to be to, to move each side off of its entrenched position. I guess for the, for the average fan who may have a side, and I think a lot of fans, I mean, I, I, my guess, my gut says that most fans are on the side of the players here. I mean, that's typical. Guys with money are not always the most popular people. Um, but for the average fan, if they just want to see soccer and they're wondering why this is happening, when you consider the positions of each side, uh, do you think that the players are, I mean, I, 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 I suppose no one, no unions unbreakable, Jeff, but in this case, are they as close to unbreakable as an MLS union has ever been? Well, I hate to use the word unbreakable because, I mean, you could still peel off a few guys, but, yeah. but still have enough uni- unified enough that it, you know, it's, that a strike vote would pass or, you know, approval of, of a CBA on the other side would pass. So, but I, it, they're pretty unified. I mean, I haven't, you know, you, you hear rumblings about how, you know, some of the foreign players are, you know, this isn't their fight and, and this and that. But, you know, I've heard nothing from, uh, from the players, from agents, you know, from anything like that, 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 that would indicate that they're, that they're fragmenting enough to, you know, for the union's, you know, leadership to really be worried about it. So, uh, you know, I, you can understand how, uh, you know, someone, you know, a player from South America say, you know, where the paychecks don't always arrive on time, 
uh, you know, you know, looking at this going, you know, what are we fighting about? But, you know, it's, it's 600 players. And I, I think, uh, a good chunk of those are American players who, who are very determined to get, you know, free agency as part of the CBA and, and are willing to strike for it. On the other side of things, um, you've reported and most sources have reported that the, that the owners are, uh, they refuse to budge as well, that they're, they're, they're flat out not going to consider free agency. Now, in the lead up to some of this, we wondered if there was going to be a contingent of, of owners, more proactive owners, certainly, uh, you know, maybe a young Turks kind of element that might be okay with broaching the notion, but there's been no movement on this front and that they're taking their, their cues. I don't know. They're taking their cues from MLS HQ from, uh, from the old school MLS owners like Anschutz and Kraft. Uh, what, what is that? Well, I think they're taking their, their cues from MLS HQ. Um, you know, it's, it's the old saying, it's easier to keep 20 people together than it is, you know, 600. Um, you know, and, and the way it's being, you know, the way it's being presented is that these new owners got into the league because of the current structure, because of the cost certainty that comes with a single entity league. Um, you know, it's, you know, I, I've reached out to some owners. Uh, I think they've been threatened with a $250,000 fine if they say anything. So, uh, you know, they, they've been, they've been very tight lipped and, uh, some of them, you know, have not responded at all. So, uh, it, you know, it's, so far they're putting up a, a, you know, a unified front on the owner's side that, uh, it, you know, they don't even want the door to a free agency open to crack. I mean, there have been a lot of good ideas, you know, that have come across Twitter and the internet saying, hey, well, hey, if they, you know, if the, if the player just signed with the league and then they'd have cost certainty and then, you know, they, they could go where, you know, whatever teams were interested. I, my understanding is that MLS does not even want to go there. They, they don't even want that, that, that free agency door, uh, again, to be op- open the slightest bit. And, uh, it, it's a little, it's disconcerting because if there's no middle ground, it, it's tough to see how a deal gets done. So there's not even, it's even, it's, it's pointless for me to even ask you if there's been consideration of a, of a service time provision in terms of, of free agency. Ten years. I mean, that's obviously a long time, but not even something that extreme. From what I'm hearing, no. I mean, they just. And I, I think one one thing that we have to consider is that is the whole single entity structure of the league. Yes. Um, their antitrust implications. Um, you know, in the in the in the courts, you know, back in the early 2000s, they they basically said that the league was not really single entity but a hybrid. Now, you know, I think an antitrust suit filed by the players is, you know, obviously litigation is very expensive. Uh, I don't think that that's really a, a weapon that they have in their arsenal, but it's, you know, that, that's, you know, MLS was designed to survive an antitrust suit by the players. I mean, that's the way, that's one of the reasons why it was structured the way it was structured. So, you know, and then, you know, the league firmly believes that, that the structure is what has given it growth, you know, slow growth yeah. and stability. And, uh, they are really loath to, to try to dismantle any piece of it at all. It doesn't look like, uh, it doesn't look like this is going to end well for the players from my perspective. And I, and I've said as much. And it's not that I've come around to the idea. It's just that when you look at the facts of the matter, it's very difficult to see the players winning this, Jeff. And, and to that point, I'm seeing, um, Ted Filipakos on Twitter, who I, I believe is a player agent, among other things, has, has pulled the information, which I think is publicly available, that the MLS Players Union war chest at the end of 2013 per report was four and a half million. 
and by now it's five and a half, six million. That's not a lot of money. That's not even enough money to go litigate. No, no, it's not a lot of money at all. And that's why I think if there is a strike, I don't think it lasts terribly long. Um, you know, who knows what other contingencies the union has made, though. Um, you know, obviously, you know, guys like Josie Altador and Michael Bradley don't, uh, <laughs> don't need to dip into that strike fund. No. Um, you know, obviously guys making the minimum and, you know, under $100,000 a year would, would need to do that. So, you know, it, it might last a little bit longer than we're giving it credit for. But again, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a situation where, yeah, I mean, the, the owners have the leverage. I mean, they, they're the ones that have to get to yes. And, uh, you know, if there's going to be any kind of free agency and, and thus a, a work stoppage avoided. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's, you know, I, I'm a skeptic by nature, but I mean, this is, this is depressing even me, uh, you know, because you don't want to see this, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the league has generated such incredible momentum yeah. and the players are a big part of that clearly. So, uh, you know, the, the hope obviously is that the mediators will weave their magic and, uh, be able to find a middle a middle ground somehow that uh, everyone can live with. Do you believe that the you know from from people you've talked to both in the league and maybe even outside the league people you've uh, that have that have asked you questions on Twitter, do you get the sense that that fans would be upset to see the players fold? I mean even after maybe 2 weeks uh, or do you think that the the fans would would be okay to see a bad deal for the players, which I just mean that no free agency in terms of um, uh, of what comes next for them. They they want that and probably won't happen. Would, would the fans be okay with no free agency and a season starting on time? Uh, you know, I think the fans, I think the once the deal got done, I, I think there'd be a sense of relief from the fans. And, and, and I think, you know, some of those recriminations would happen afterwards. I, I think if, if the players take a bad deal, I think the big ramifications are, are, are going to be further down the line. It's going to be awfully difficult to take any future threats of, of striking over free agency seriously. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it would be, a, you wonder what would happen to the union leadership as well. You know, if, uh, you know, if they, they took a deal that didn't include free agency after all, kind of the saber rattling, if you will. So, uh, I think most fans would be just happy to see the season start. I, I, I think the the terms of the CBA for them would kind of melt into the background a little bit, and they'd just be looking forward to soccer. But uh, you know, certainly for the players, uh, I, I think there'd be a lot of a lot of questions about you know what exactly they achieved. To us. We're so, gonna we're gonna ultimately we may see the players go to the fullest extent they can before that that war chest before that strike fund runs out. And then leadership and, and Foose and everybody else can say plausible deniability. We, we went as far as we could. It's not our fault anymore. Yeah. I mean, certainly the, the owners would be on the owner, you know, the owners. I mean, you know, they're, they're not giving this. And, and frankly, I don't think MLS has done a good job of really articulating why they are so against free agency. Um, you know, they keep talking about cost certainty. They keep talking about speaking with one voice in the international market, but this is still a salary cap league. Uh, granted, it's a soft cap. Um, and, you know, it, it, we always talk about how flexible it is with allocation money and the like, but it, I think it, it still serves its purpose, which is to, to, you know, basically keep a lid on player salaries and be able to manage, you know, how and when those salaries increase. So, um, uh, so yeah, I, I think, I think the owners ultimately are going to have to answer, you know, why, 
they're not able to do this and, and why they're not able to, to have free agency. At least explain it in a better way. Uh, yeah, you, you wonder if it certainly feels like they don't care about explaining it. And I think that's a failure. Even if you don't know that the fans will buy your logic, even if they may not be with you 100%, at least make the attempt and show the respect that they probably deserve. I mean, we certainly have a, a core base of MLS fans who are, you know, very aggressive in trying to understand how the league works and why it works the way it does. Sure. Uh, quick question, Jeff. Uh, it, you know, you can expound if you'd like, but who's going to be most upset if we have a delayed start to the season? And we'll put the question of when it actually starts aside. Is it, in, is it New York City FC? Is it Orlando? Is it uh, the fans? Is it TV, uh, TV companies who have just signed new contracts? Who's most upset? I think they're all going to be upset, but certainly, um, I think if you're an executive or, 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 uh, or coach with, with New York City FC or, uh, or Orlando, I mean, you've been looking forward to this day, you know, for, for years. I mean, especially in the case of Orlando City FC, who've kind of, you know, seeded that market and, and done their time in, in USL Pro and, uh, so I, I would think the fans of, of, of those teams are, are going to be the most upset. MLS is going to be upset too, because obviously, uh, yeah, they are, they worked very hard to, to achieve this kind of momentum and, and the kind of growth that the, the league has been able to enjoy and, and get to 20 teams. I mean, you think back to what was it, 2001, where, yeah. or after 2001, two teams were contracted. They went down to 10 teams and, you know, the, the questions about whether the league would survive are, are on everybody's mind. So. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are going to be upset, but I, I, I would feel the most personally for the, for the fans of those teams who have, again, really been, been emotionally investing in, in the, in the start of the season. Is there a chance? I mean, you talked about momentum and growth and, and those are great words and, and MLS and American soccer as a whole has been really taking big strides in the last five, six, ten years. Does all of that halt here with the strike? I mean, how damaging is this to, and I'm not even talking about with the hardcore MLS fan base who will probably come back around if it's two weeks or a month or whatever, Jeff. I'm talking about the, the people who are on the fringes who see an MLS highlight and maybe consider checking it out. The people who watch EPL every weekend but haven't yet given MLS a chance. How big of a deal is it for those people? It depends on how long the strike lasts, in my view. I mean, if we're talking a week or two, I don't think that's going to have, a, you know, it's going to cause it's going to cause damage, but I, I think that damage is reparable. I mean, if we get outwards of a month, I mean, that's when I start thinking that it that it's going to you kind of reach a, a tipping point where it's going to last even longer than that, and, and both sides become even more entrenched. So, you know, I think if you start getting beyond a month, I think that's when you're really cutting into muscle and uh, mm-hmm. and really, you know, killing some of that momentum, and, and you know, then you're you're having to mend some serious fences with the fan, you know, the respective fan bases of each team. Uh, it was asked, I've been asked several times, and nobody seems to know exactly what happens with USL if the MLS players go on strike. Now, we know that some of these guys are, you know, uh, that we, we have the, the, the connected teams, the reserve teams for Seattle and LA and Portland and Toronto, New York, everybody else. How does that impact the league? How do the independent teams differ? You have partnerships. What's happening with USL? Yeah, I reached out to, to Nicholas Murray last night and, and he was kind enough to get back to me. And he, he basically said that, you know, and Nicholas Murray is the guy who does a lot of the PR for, for USL just to, to fill people yeah, in out there who might not be familiar with Nicholas. But yeah. he basically said that the U.S. would continue as normal, you know, should there be an MLS work stoppage. You know, the area where it could affect USL teams 
or that they wouldn't necessarily be able to rely on loan players from partners, um, you know, you know, or the parent club. So, you know, uh, to use Galaxy 2 as an example, you know, the majority of their players were signed to USL contracts. So, right. uh, you know, I think they would still, you know, there wouldn't be any picket line really for them to cross. Uh, obviously for loan players, uh, that would be a different situation and, and just, you know, reading, you know, what Nicholas said, you know, he contacted me by email. He basically led me to believe that those, those MLS players that were being loaned to, to USL teams would not be available. So, uh, but again, that's not really a huge number, even for teams that have, you know, like, like the Galaxy, like Seattle, that have dedicated second teams playing in USL. It's, it, there's a, there is a domino effect here. Um, if there is a strike and USL is just one of those elements that could be, could be impacted. Uh, J- Jeff, I mean, uh, you've written a column about this, more of an opinion piece than, than, than the news of this uh, situation. You're at right, right now, your gut says we're where? 50 50, a little bit more than that in terms of a strike versus a uh, season starting on time? Yeah, I would say I put it a little bit north of 50 50. I mean, you know, things can change. Negotiations are fluid. So, I mean, that's why I'm not saying, oh, they're, they're definitely going to strike. Um, but, and it, you know, I haven't just talked to players about this. You know, I've talked to agents. I've talked to, to former players. You know, I, um, you know, even talked to some, some observers, you know, kind of outside of MLS, you know, just involved in the soccer community. And, and they seem convinced that the players are going to go to the wall for free agency. And so, you know, that's why, you know, now who knows what happens when the reality of make of taking a strike vote or uh you know being you know it's easy to talk about a strike in abstract you know once you're faced with the reality of it you know who knows what happens then but every indication i've seen is that the players have thought this through and 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 are going to strike if they don't get free agency so that's why i'm saying you know north of 50-50 at this point and i think that increases fractionally with with each passing day that that we don't have a deal yeah it's uh it's getting down to the wire very very quickly here time is running out season starting uh, i don't i haven't done the day count jeff i don't know if you have a big calendar on your wall and you're striking out the days it, it can't be more than much more than what 12 13 days left before the uh, season i'd say it's 10 it's 10 mean, days uh, you know the season actually starts on a friday right. um so you would think that the players would have to get on a plane on a thursday uh you know coming from chicago heading to la so uh you know it's uh you know, and that was basically the case, you know, five years ago. You know, I remember Philadelphia players trying to figure out if they should get on the plane or not. And, and ultimately a deal got done. So, uh, hopeful that history will, will repeat itself in that standpoint. But, uh, yeah, at the moment, I'd say it's not looking good. Uh, last question here, and you may not even know this yet, and maybe we should, uh, put this to the side and something to, re- to look into. But I know that the, that, that Montreal and, and DC United are going to play their CCL quarterfinal ties. Under the the previous CBA, sort of a you know a handshake agreement the league and the players made, if they advance, either one of them or both, does that mean they're not going to play in the semifinals? That is a great question, and uh, I think, I mean, I've heard it offered up that the the players is kind of a good faith gesture would would continue to play in that competition, just not in you know the MLS regular season, <laughs> but. I mean, it's messy. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. how is it that you can play in one competition and not in another? Um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, that is not clear at the moment. And I think, I think, you know, MLS is taking the standpoint that, you know, hey, we, we don't even want to think about that, that, that possibility. And, 
you know, I think what the second legs are on March 3rd. So, you know, those, those games appear to be safe. But again, it's, uh, that, that could be really ugly. And that might be a bad look for the players if, if they, you know, kind of quote unquote commit to playing in a competition and, and then, then actually, yeah. you know, forfeit. Yeah. Uh, that would, I think, create quite a bit of ill will and, and might see them, might see them see some of the moral high ground with the yeah. fans. Jeff Carlisle from ESPN FC. If you're not following him on Twitter and reading his work over at uh, the website, uh, you're failing in the CBA negotiations, certainly, and in MLS in general. Jeff, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I know you're busy. You've been on a million podcasts and television and you're writing. I, I go find five minutes for yourself and like, you know, read the, read the style section or something different <laughs> for a while. <laughs> I, I will do just that. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Jeff. There you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian will join us. We'll talk Portland Timbers. We'll pretend like this season's going to start on time with her. Be right back. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. On the line with me now, Jamie Goldberg covers the Timbers and the Thorns out in Portland for the Oregonian. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for the early, uh, the early, I'm not sure how early you get up. I'm sure you're one of those early riser people. I'm not, which is why this show is Soccer Morning <laughs> in the late morning on the East Coast. It's pretty early out there. Uh, I guess what the I guess the biggest news right now in in, in Timbers camp and in the preseason preparations while we have this this tournament going on is the loss of Ben Zemanski to an ACL tear. Uh, if it wasn't for Will Johnson's injury, would this be that big of a deal? I mean, look, not that anybody wants Zemanski hurt, but depth is a problem now. Yeah, um, if Will Johnson was still out there, they would be saying, you know, they have a little bit less depth at D mid, but. Without Will Johnson there, it's really, they're going to their third player in their depth chart. It's probably going to be Jack Jewsbury out there. Uh, obviously he has experience, but 33 years old, hasn't really been in the starting lineup since, uh, mid, uh, midway through last season. And their backups are probably going to be a rookie or a second year player. So they're going to have to be adding one of their really young players into the 18. So it's a pretty big deal because of Will Johnson's injury. Obviously he should be coming back, uh, between maybe three or five games into the season, but they're going to have to manage that, and that's going to be difficult. Where, where is Johnson in his recovery? I mean, is he is he out there? He's probably not full training, but is he doing things? Is he running? Is he where is he? He's uh, been running, working with the trainers on the sidelines. He hasn't rejoined full training. Uh, Caleb Porter mentioned that might be two to four weeks away. And after uh, he comes back, they are thinking of even having him do a little stint with a T2, that's their USL team, just to give him 45, 60 minutes before they run him out with the first team. You also have, uh, you know, Diego Valeri's been huge for the Timbers, um, and, and he's he's also coming into the season sort of knocked uh, or, or banged up. I see that... Uh, that Diego Chara has picked up a little thing. I mean, are, are injuries really going to be a problem for the Timbers, or is this just, you know, a, a little bit of a rocky start to the to the season? 
I think uh, with Diego Valeri especially, that's kind of a big question for um, everyone in Portland right now. Last year, Diego Valeri entered the season. He was in the starting lineup, but he was still recovering from sports hernia surgery. And people tend to forget the Timbers had a little bit of trouble scoring at the beginning of last year. They really got going when Valeri um, really got going himself. So, yeah, it might be a major issue. Valeri's not expected back till May. Um, Chara will, will be back. That's not a sure. worry at the moment, but they're, they're one injury away definitely from, um, having a really dire situation. So what happens with that position with the guy who's pulling the strings? Valeri was so good at it. He made the, uh, the attack go for the Timbers. Is, is there a ready made replacement? Is there somebody who maybe has either played out wide or, or played up top who can slide back into that position and be somewhat effective? Well, what they've been doing is they've been, uh, at least in preseason so far, they've been replacing Valeri in the lineup with Gaston Fernandez, who um, was in the starting lineup for the Timbers at the beginning of last season, ended up being used mostly as a late-game substitute, uh, pretty effective off the bench in terms of scoring goals. He, Porter doesn't see him as exactly the traditional number 10 like Diego Valeri was, and uh, actually has kind of tweaked his formation slightly, playing more of a 4-4-2 where Gaston uh, plays as a second forward behind Finetto Audi. So he has had to tweak, uh, his preferred formation sort of to kind of play to Gaston Fernandez's strengths. When you look at, I mean, obviously the, the injury to Valeri is a major, uh, a, a major hole to fill for Caleb Porter. Will Johnson's yeah. injury keeping him out at least for, a, for three or four games, five games, whatever it is, that's a big hole to fill. Um, we know that the Timbers struggled defensively, especially at center back for, for a lot of last season. That was a major pro- part of their problems, in addition to, to, to not scoring goals until, until Valeri was back and, and healthy. Um, where's the biggest, you know, where's where's Caleb Porter? I mean, you've got to focus on all of it, Jamie, but where do you think the biggest hole is right now? I mean, I definitely think uh, defensive midfield, now that Zemanski's out, is going to be a problem for them. I, I think Porter said, you know, he's very confident in Jack Shrewsbury coming in there, but Ben Zemanski was the fittest guy on the team by all the fitness tests this preseason, and um, he offers a work rate and ability to work alongside Diego Chara that was really beneficial for the Timbers, and people were even saying because Will Johnson was more of an attacking defensive midfielder, that Ben Zemanski offered something um, with all the defensive problems that was actually really useful when he came in last year because he played more on the defensive side and just helped the back line, um, just kind of added uh, an extra player helping the back line there. So I think that's going to be a big issue. I, they don't have a lot of depth at that position anymore. And um, you never know how long a broken leg rehab's going to come back. Uh, Will obviously is on track to be back in the season three to four or five games in, but maybe his fitness isn't up there. Maybe his mental side, he, tackling takes a little bit longer to get back for him to get used to that again so I think that's definitely the position after this week that we're looking at and wondering are they going to be able to survive uh, without those two players the guy the the guys that that position is supposed to protect it looks like it's going to be Liam Ridgewell and Nat Borchers as the starters I mean imagine that the arrival of Borchers is a big deal considering the the struggles Porter had in, in filling that position last year uh, Ridgewell's adjustment period either over or, or getting close to being over. Is this is this a strength now? Has it gone from weakness to strength? I think it is. Um, that's one of the things that has impressed me the most in preseason. Uh, Ridgewell has 
only been here for a week because he was on loan with Wigan. But um, seeing Borchers, he just has come in and been that veteran leader on the back line, and it looks very consistent back there. And um, the Timbers, I was looking it up recently, went through 17 different backline combinations last year. Porter could not find four players that worked well with each other. And it looks like heading into the season, at least, that they have the kind of four players they want, two speedy, younger uh, outside backs with two uh, veteran players at center back. And I think Borchers and Ridgewold could be a very one of the stronger center back combinations in the league. The, the outside back, the, the, the fullback starters are picked and ready to go. We're we talking about uh, Powell and Villafano. Who are we talking about? Yeah, Powell and uh, Villafania. Basically, both of them, I think, earned those positions pretty late in the season. Uh, I think in a Vancouver game in August last year. And um, Porter really likes their ability to be defensive players, but also get up in the attack, uh, send crosses into the box. So um, it seems pretty sewed up for both of them that they're going to be in those positions. At the start of the season. Moving back up the field, one of the big stories for the Timbers last year, especially nationally, you know, with MLS fans who, nece- who weren't necessarily concerned about whether they were winning or losing or drawing every week, was the performance of Darlington Dagby. Uh, I know there was, uh, I know there was an addition to his family, uh, positional questions perhaps, obviously some changes from 2013 to 2014. Are we going to see a big year from Darlington Nagby because it, it was scored, what, one goal in 2014? Yeah, one goal on the last day of the season. <laughs> um, I, I think we are. I think last year was a bit of an anomaly for him. I, I think he played well still. I, I think he had uh, a career year in assists, and he was definitely still dangerous in the attack, and because other teams were focused on him, it gave it opened up room for players like Diego Valeri. That said, they don't want Darlene Nagby scoring one goal, and especially with Valeri out, it's going to be more important that Nagby is a uh, bigger threat in the attack this year. So I think last year was an anomaly. I think it's going to be very important for him um, to start taking more shots. Uh, I do think it was looked like it was weighing on his mind by the end of the season, and there were some chances he seemed to have where he would just pass the ball off. But assuming that mental side can be... <laughs> a little bit different going into this year and he won't be worrying about last year, I think that he'll ha- go back to his 2013-2012 uh, type of year. Well, how is how is his deployment? Is his deployment going to change? Is Porter, is Porter just going to put him in that same position, let him slash, try to, to, to find ways to get him in the transition and maybe just have him get on the end of things a little bit more than he did last year? What's the difference from 2014 to 2015? I think he just has looked better in training camp. Um, he's been taking more shots. He's looked more dangerous. The Timbers really haven't scored that many. They've only scored, I think, one goal on, on a PK in their preseason games, but it's hard to put too much weight into preseason performances in those practice games. Um, but I think he's looked better. He's still playing uh, that same position kind of out on the wing where he can move around as he sees fit into the middle of the field. Um, but he's just looked more confident and more like someone that's looking to score in all the practices I've seen. We're talking to, to Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian about the Timbers upcoming season. And Jamie, I have to ask what the expectations are in Portland uh, coming off of a bad year, a, a, a year in which the team regressed under Caleb Porter. Is it, mm-hmm. is it, um, I don't know, is it MLS Cup or bust or do, is there some sort of 
more realistic standard that that needs to be met here? I think the standard right now is just make playoffs. And then I think if they do that, it'll be a successful season. Obviously, they don't want to make playoffs and then immediately get eliminated. But I think that's just the goal because missing it last year by that one point um, was really a difficult season and ended on a pretty sour note. I got eliminated from CONCACAF and a few days later missed uh, the playoffs by one point. Um, I think the biggest thing for them right now is just get points in the first eight games. They did not win a game last year over their first eight. And because of that, they were playing catch up for the entire season. So I think it start well, which they've had difficulty doing that pretty much um, every year that they've been in MLS and then uh, make playoffs. Is there any chance at all that if it goes sideways, maybe even uh, early into the first half of the season, and of course we're all assuming, you know, we're, we're operating under the assumption the season starts on time, and we'll just pretend that's not going on <laughs> right now, but is there any chance at all that if, if things aren't going well, Caleb Porter's on the hot seat? I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't think so, and that's because I think that Caleb has a really strong relationship with a uh, the team owner, Merritt Paulson, and uh, GM Gavin Wilkinson. John John Spencer, when he got fired, uh, part of that had to do with the relationship kind of degrading between the ownership and um, him and him not necessarily having great lines of communication with them. Yeah. So I think if they were to consider firing Caleb, it would be a much tougher decision because those guys seem like they're buddies. They, they have great lines of communication. They go out for meals each week to talk about the team. So I don't know. I, I think he's this year he's going to be here. If this is another down year, maybe at the end of the year, but it's it's hard for me to imagine this is the point where, the, where we start having conversation about Caleb Porter getting fired. The other the, the the one thing that that's new for 2015 for the Timbers and it's new for a bunch of teams around MLS is the reserve team in USL. And you mm-hmm. mentioned the possibility of guys coming back from injury, getting some time down there before coming back to the senior team. Uh, we'll see if that happens. It certainly worked for Robbie Rogers and, and some other players around uh, MLS last season, specifically in L.A. Is that is that where they're focused? I mean, obviously this is a developmental tool. It's, a, it's an opportunity to get young players playing time who might not otherwise see minutes. What's the chatter around the team when it comes to T2? I, I think that it's, in terms of the first team, they're going to put mo- most of their draft picks there seems like either they'll probably sign a few of the draft picks to the first team and loan them down or they already sent down I think three of their 2015 draft picks who they're not going to sign with the first team to go try out with D2. Um, that's kind of the major line from how it's going to work with the first team and then obviously sending a few guys down as a rehab stint. Um, but Caleb Porter seems very excited. The whole organization seems very excited about it. They've Made a few signings. Uh, they have a lot of guys out on trial right now uh, and are hoping to sign a few young international players that they actually can see being an Alice Powell-type player who uh, plays a year or two with T2 and then comes up to the first team. Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian Talking Timbers. Uh, follow her on Twitter. Jamie B. Goldberg is the handle. Uh, Jamie, last question. Put you on the spot. Are the Timbers a playoff team this season? <laughs> It's a little bit harder after Samantha's injury. I'm still going to go with yes, um, because that's what I've been going with this season. Uh, If for no other reason, then we've added more playoff teams. But I I think that the defensive changes are 
going to be enough that um, it's going to get them back to the playoffs this year. There you go. Go follow Jamie on Twitter and read her work at The Oregonian. Uh, she covers both the Timbers and the Thorns out there and does an excellent job of it. Jamie, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Let's take a break. When we come back, brief phone line session. I'll open up those phone lines, 347 756 6276, and then Dom Dwyer at 11 o'clock. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Open up those phone lines, 347-756-6276, ahead of Dom Dwyer's appearance on the program at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Should be a good chat with Dom. He certainly had a whirlwind of an offseason and heading into a new campaign with a lot of pressure to score Goals for Sporting Kansas City as they move out west. Let's go to those phones. Two seven six. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, uh, Stuart from Virginia. What's up, Stuart? Um, yeah. So my question actually was answered. Uh, I'm a big DC fan, um, and so I'll basically I'll basically just like speak to like the CCL game. Yeah. That two thir- that 2013 season was <laughs> atrocious. Like if you suffered through that season. Like the only bright spot was like that U.S. Open Cup and a Champions League berth, mm-hmm. and I mean, if we don't play in it, it basically just reaffirms that that season was just completely lost. Yeah, you know what? And it's, atrocious doesn't do it justice, Stuart. Although I know you're trying, you're trying very hard. Painful, abominable, abhorrent, whatever. All of those words apply. And as you said, if they don't finish this thing out, whether I mean, look, they've got to get past. Alahuelense first. And if they do that and then the strike comes and they don't play, you're right. Then it becomes this, what was the point of all of that? What did we live through that for, Stuart? Yeah. Well, and you know, the Montreal fans are kind of in the same, same position after the season they had this past year, but made it out of group, you know, so it's, it's really disingenuous to the fans that, you know, bought tickets and stuck with it for them to not kind of see it out. Like I understand the player's position like completely, um, but just, I don't want to remember, I want to remember that season as like the kicking off point for us, like winning the FIFA club world cup. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Not I don't mean to laugh, Stuart. I don't just mean to laugh. Forfeit, yeah. Just not that we forfeited, <laughs> yeah. you know, a chance to go on and do something important. Yeah. If you, you if, you, if you're going to go down, at least go down swinging. Okay. I mean, that's the thing we, you want to at least go down giving it all your best shot. And if the strike comes, and Submarines, DC United's CCL campaign, again, because they've got a favorable draw when compared to Montreal, for example, who's got Pachuca, a Mexican team. Oh, absolutely. Team. Um, you know, not that, it, not that El Uense is, is a pushover, not that Costa Rican teams aren't very good, but when you consider the, what, what the alternative was for DC United, then, you know, this, it could have been a lot worse and you have an opportunity here. And I'm sure Ben Olsen is, very, very keen on getting past this round and making it to the semifinals and finding a way to, to continue the momentum from 2014 into the regular season, which may not happen on time. It's, it, it is a difficult situation. And, you know, there, there's people, Eric on Twitter here, uh, Sinus8, 
says, what, is, uh, what does MLS have to say to traveling fans that have already purchased airfare and hotels to see games? Now, he means the regular season, but if you're a, a DC United fan, and you, the CCL is a thing and you're interested in this. And, and obviously DC United has a legacy of being the only, uh, you know, one of the only teams to, to do well internationally from MLS. Then, then it, this could be an issue as well. I know people travel to Costa Rica for games. Are they going to, if MLS, if DC United gets into the semis and draws, I don't know, Club America, Saprisa, are they going to not, you know, are they going to have to cancel trips? I mean, what's, what's going to happen? I mean, I don't know. And like I said, I mean, just as a fan, I would rather see this as a, as a positive thing this year, as opposed to just remembering, well, that was, that Lewis Neal goal was basically pointless. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's all, that's all, like I said, you addressed my question. Um, so I just went ahead and called in just to speak it, as a fan on the same thing. I appreciate it, Stuart. Thanks for the phone call. 347-756-6276 is your phone number. You know, I started out the show talking about FIFA and, and the Qatar, the Qatari question. And the move of the, of the tournament from, from the summer window, the traditional summer window where it's been since 1930 into a November, December window. I, I'm not sure that that is reason to get angry in and of itself. And, and I think it's, it's, it's interesting to consider why we're upset if we are upset. If you're upset about a Qatari, Qatari World Cup, why are you upset about it? Are you upset about it because it's being moved? Are you upset about it because FIFA voted it in? And it's more than likely due to graft. Are you upset about it because of the migrant worker situation and the modern day slavery that takes place in that country when it comes to the kafala system? If you are, if you are upset about the calendar shift, should you be? Because I've presented this question before. If the summer is the only time we can hold the world cup, then that eliminates certain countries, certain areas of the world from ever hosting it. It's just too hot. You can't play World Cup in the summer in Qatar. So how do you get around that? Or do you just eliminate them from consideration? 856, you're on the air. Hey, what's up? This is John from Philly. Hey, John, are you backing up right now? What's happening? Yeah, it's someone else. Okay, what's going on, John? Uh, I just wanted to talk about the CBA and everyone, uh, the free agency issue. I mean, okay. I know Philly's not a small market, but it's also not a glamour market, and everyone's concerned with these free agents. You know, they're going to leave Columbus to go to L.A. and New York. But ultimately, isn't what the, the players are going to follow is money, and it, with a with a hard cap, a relatively hard cap, it, I mean, isn't that a non-issue? It's not even a relatively hard cap. I mean, it's it's somewhere between a liquid cap and a hard – I mean, it, it – it can be both the hard cap for everyone but three people. Well, that's, th- th- that is true to a certain extent, except for the fact that teams can pay down player salaries with allocation money who aren't DPs. So that there is more room than maybe we even consider 3.2 or whatever the, the total is right now. And I don't think MLS as an ownership group is necessarily against the idea of paying more to the players. I think they're against the idea of their business model being cracked open by free agency. A- a- again, this is, it's not that they think that, that, that tomorrow, if they institute free agency, the league is going to go under tomorrow or a month from now or a year from now. It's that the ball, the snowball starts rolling down the hill and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon the league un- it comes under challenge for their business structure again. The players actually have the money to take them to court, uh, or, Salaries become inflated for some other reason that is related to free agency. I mean, there, 
I think they just they're very very they're being very conservative and very wary. I got to get running here. Thanks for the phone call, John. I appreciate it. No problem. Right. Let's quickly go to Washington. Washington, you have like a minute. What's up? Hey, what's up, Jason? I'm just going to go back to this uh, the Qatari World Cup. What bothers me most is not uh, the calendar shift or anything like that. What bothers me most about all this is how far is FIFA willing to bend for certain people who have certain amount of money? Okay, you but know, and Washington, you you have a point, and, and a lot of people will point to the money, and the Qataris are certainly rich beyond you know imagination in some cases, right. and they, they certainly threw a lot of money at their campaign. But but the question is, do you punish them? Do you punish them for that? I mean, we we see FIFA, we see money, we connect some dots, and next thing you know, we're talking about corruption and graft. And and yeah, while but one of the points of, of hosting the World Cup or or, or granting the World Cup for hosts is to grow the sport, right? And 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 making a league and doing all that stuff. They they once the World Cup is over, they, there's no potential for them to have a league. Well, you and, and, and look, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Washington, and they'll tell you uh, certainly, Seth Blatter who voted for the U.S., I mean, he's on the record with that, he says, thanks for the call, Washington, he said this is more about a regional growth than a than a growth just in Qatar or Qatar. This is not just about that. All right, let's take a, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have Dom Dwyer, striker for Sporting Kansas City and the recently married Dom Dwyer. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. On the phone with me right now, Dom Dwyer, striker for Sporting Kansas City. Dom, how are you, man? I'm amazing. How are you guys doing? You're amazing. That mean that must mean pre- preseason is going well, and you're just you're banging them in every day, right? Uh, I don't know about that, um, <laughs> but we're but preseason is is going. Um, we're working hard and just trying to get fit for the season. What's the you know what's the hardest part of of getting back into your? I mean, it's been a little while. You guys have been in camp. You're getting ready for for a new campaign. Obviously, last year your 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 year trying to get back to an MLS Cup didn't quite work out. What's the hardest part about getting yourself ready for a new season? Um, just the waiting, I think. Um, you know, obviously, as guys are hungry and and everyone wants to get our trophy back, so we're um, you know, everyone's everyone's um, raring to go um, and and very hungry. So it's just sort of a waiting game. Um, we're just hoping that we can we can get going in the next couple of weeks and um, play some games. And that's what we want to do. Obviously, look, you you guys have a a core of great players yourself, Matt Beasler, Graham Zusi. You got Roger Espinosa coming back to the team. What's it like to have you know these guys who know what it takes to win titles, win championships, win MLS matches, all right there behind you? And how how important is that experience? Oh, it's very important. Um, you know, with uh, we get there's no World Cup distraction this year for for Bees and Zeus. Um, <clears throat> you know, so we should have them throughout the season. Um, we're very excited to have them back. Obviously, we missed. Been Zeus for a bit. He's, he's been injured. Um, he's just coming back from injury, so that's nice. Um, and obviously having Roger back, Roger's actually flying at the moment. Um, and you know, you've seen what he can do. Um, and you know, we're just excited to to get the season going and and uh, start winning some games. That's what it's about. Um, you know, we want to win some titles this year, and that's that's the plan. 
You obviously yeah. had a a big year last year, a fantastic year for yourself personally. How do you how do you intend to improve on on that? Do you set goals? You got you got a, a number in your head for for goals this season? Yeah, I want to I want to set goals and and break records. So I'm not putting you know any limits on it. Um, you know, I'm just I'm on a on a well one of the if not the best team in the league in my eyes, um, and playing with the best players. So if I'm if I'm playing centre forward and can stay healthy, then there's um, you know, no reason why I shouldn't score a lot of goals on this team. Um, you're going to get a lot of chances as a forward. So as long as I can, you know, do my job when when chances arise, we have a good enough squad to 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 win some trophies this year, and that's what it's about for us. Is there is there a good chance that you had the best off season of anybody in MLS? I think that's possible, right? Yeah, it's probably right. Yeah, it's probably right. Uh, so so okay, who's the who's the better striker, honestly? And then do you guys argue about it? No, it's not an argument. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She's, she's, uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're talking about, um, Sweeney, right? Yeah, of course Sweeney, I right? am. Of course I'm I know. Is there anybody yeah. on the planet who doesn't know that, that you and, and Sydney LaRue have, uh, have tied the knot and you're the happy couple? And, and now, and again, everybody's talking about, you know, I, I don't know if, if this question's come up for everybody else. I assume it is. Again, who's better? Is that even a thing that you guys consider? Uh, she's better. She's better. She has a gold. She has a gold medal, and she's going to win the World Cup this year. Okay, so she so might she, be a little bit better. She's than got. Me. She got a little. She, she's got. Uh, well, you got an MLS Cup, uh, Dom. I mean, you know, maybe that's not exactly the same thing. And uh, I don't know. Uh, did you? Uh, did you know. expect? I mean, did you look? Obviously, it's your relationship. That's a private thing. That's between you and Sydney Larue. But when it comes to the the news breaking in People Magazine, did you expect something like that to happen? How quickly did did your life change? Because it's you and Sid. Um, it didn't really change, you know. I think it changed a lot for you guys. Um, but for <laughs> us, it's, it's been changed for a while. So we were, you know, we're happy. And um, we just wanted to sort of, you know, off-seasons are difficult um, as an athlete. And, um, you know, obviously you miss playing and, and you want to be playing. So it was, uh, it was a nice time for both of us to, you know, just kind of enjoy each other. Um, we're always busy on on the road and doing stuff um so you know it's it's nice to to be able to spend some time together and um you know realize what we want in life and then uh go at it together so that's the plan dumb i i really dig your story i love the fact that you know you you started out back home in england uh you know you had the opportunity to come to the states you play junior college soccer you go to south florida you play there you get drafted you go on loan in orlando and score buckets of goals and and then you come up to, to to come back to to Kansas City and, and you're scoring there as well. Is this is this a path you could see other other players taking? I mean, I, I, you're not completely unique in the in, in coming from England and playing college soccer, but you are sort of the top success story in how this has all played out for you. Yeah, um, you know, obviously I missed I missed a few chances to try and um, play professional when I was younger and sort of missed that gap so went through with the college thing and just kind of stayed determined and uh you know I'm, I'm still hungry for a lot more you know I feel like I'm just beginning so um you know this is like a, a new start for me and a fresh start and I'm not you know I'm not resting on, on last year um you know I definitely want to largely improve on last year and um you know win some trophies everyone kind of talks about it but at the end of the day we we didn't we didn't win last year um and you know that's not that's not what we came to do is it so, um is it make it harder yeah. that you're going out to the Western Conference? I mean, there's some good teams uh, out there. No, it makes it it makes it more fun. We'll play with the bad teams. Everyone wants to play against the best players, right? So it makes uh, it fun. 
Absolutely, uh, Dom. There's uh, I've heard a little bit of chatter that that maybe one day you could uh, you could get U.S. citizenship and, and turn out for the United States national team. Has that been a thought in your head? Uh, it's, it's it's been thrown out there. Uh, I mean, I'm focused on on playing for Kansas City right now, and um, you know, if if um, if that happens to go through and I'm able to get my passport, then that's fantastic. And if I'm uh, you know selected at some point, and then, then that's great. And um, you know, if if I started to get injured and Roy Hodgson calls me, then that wouldn't be bad either. <laughs> so, um, no, I'm just kidding. We're, um, you know, I'm just focused on this season and kind of trying to help my team score goals and um, you know win, win some championships. That's what it's about for me right now. Fair enough. The rest uh, will take care of itself. Last question I'll ask you is: uh, You have the opportunity as a part of as a member of Sporting Kansas City to go back to Orlando with them coming up to MLS. I think that game is in September that you go down there. Is that a date that you'll circle on your calendar? Are you looking forward to going and playing in front of those fans again? Oh, absolutely. That would be a, an amazing experience. Um, I think my family are coming over from England to watch that game. Um, so that will be, be a special day for me. Um, and, you know, it'll be an emotional one. But it'll, be, it'll be nice, you know. Um, I worked really hard down there and, um, you know, sort of kind of got my first chance to, to play some games down there and, and show myself a bit. So it'll always be a special place for me. So little Disney World, little Dom on the field playing soccer. That's that's the way that goes. There you go. <laughs> Dom Dwyer, striker for Sporting Kansas City, <laughs> joining us on Soccer Morning. Best of luck on the new season, Dom, uh, Dom and, and congratulations on uh, on your marriage. Appreciate the time, man. Thank you very much. Have a good one, guys. Uh, there goes uh, Dom Dwyer from Sporting <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm working on it. There goes Dom Dwyer from Sporting Kansas City. That's going to wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Make sure you get yourself a mug. Soccer Morning mug at backheel.com slash store. Get yourself a t-shirt at 3NLFC.com. What else am I missing? Follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Uh, hit us up with thoughts and concerns and questions um, uh, on anything. On anything soccer related. And I really, again... Lots of things out there. The Qatari World Cup has been officially moved, or will be officially moved next month. Everybody expects that. MLS strike, CBA. Big show again tomorrow on Wednesday. Be right here at worldsoccertalk.com slash live to check it out. Talk to you then. Bye. Motel